Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay of an episode from 2019 with Marie Forleo. She's an entrepreneur, a writer and an online coach. She's been named by Oprah as a thought leader for the next generation. And I first discovered Marie's work via her award-winning online show, Marie TV. There's also a podcast of the show as well. And she interviews amazing creatives such as Brené Brown. And she does it in her signature Marie style, which is lots of infectious energy and enthusiasm and she kind of gives you a bit of a pep talk which you kind of need sometimes you kind of need someone to give you that boost and she is definitely that person I go to when I need a bit of that in this episode we're discussing her New York Times best-selling book everything is figure outable a phrase and a discipline that activates your spiritual and emotional strength she says and it's a rallying cry to tackle impossible tasks heartbreaking challenges and big dreams by building resilience I hope you enjoyed this episode with Marie and check out all my other episodes while you're at it. I just have to say, I know we had the event last night together. You were brilliant. So thank you for that. You were so brilliant. So wonderful. I went home and digested it all. You said so many things, like so many truth bombs. Yeah. Dropped them all night. Thank you. You know, I'm always, it's always a little nervous going into a new space and of course being in a new country and and not knowing how things are going to be received. But you took care of us and I feel like the crowd was really receptive and they were welcoming of Jersey Marie, which I appreciated. Yes. Oh my God. People couldn't get enough of that. And it's so nice doing this podcast, having met you last night, because I I know I would have felt a connection anyway, just because I've been following you for so long. But um, yeah, it's lovely. So last night, actually, we sort of started off by obviously explaining the title of your book, which is dominating the Amazon charts at the moment in the UK and Yay. also overseas. It's done phenomenally well. Everything is figure outable. And I sort of started on that note of like, to a British audience, there are some people, I think, who really want to get behind something that could change their life. But there's almost this like cynicism that we annoyingly have that makes us think that's way too positive for me. You kind of brought that up um, yourself and answered it very well. I wondered if you could touch on that a bit. Absolutely. So, you know, it's a bold claim, this notion that everything is figure outable. And understandably, people may be skeptical. When I was working on the project and I was just at the beginning of it, I was having brunch with some friends and my one friend brought her 10-year-old son along. And they were asking me, Marie, what are you working on? I said, a new book. What's the title? Everything is figure outable. And my friend's 10-year-old son said, no, it's not. I was like, okay, here we go. This is really good. Kids are tough with the questions. And, you know, I was really excited by it because I knew that wouldn't be the first person to say that. And I said, tell me more. What do you believe is not figure outable? And he said, well, we human beings can't grow working wings out of our back and fly. And I said, you know, that is true as of this moment. I said, but you do realize that we human beings can indeed fly in airplanes. And he was like, oh, I guess you're right. He said, well, what about this? You know, I can't bring my dog, the one that died a few years ago, back from the dead. And I said, well, in my head, I was thinking like, that's some pet cemetery shit right there. (laughs) However, to him, I said, scientists have been working on cryogenics and people have been cloning their dogs. And he's like, oh, I think you're right. And so enough conversations like that inspired me to create a little set of rules for the figure outable philosophy, which helps us operate in a mental container that allows us to use the intended phrase and the philosophy for its purpose, which is to help us create change in our lives, which then helps us to create change in the world around us. So here are the three rules of the figure outable philosophy. Rule number one, all dreams or problems are figure outable. Rule number two, if a problem isn't figure outable, 
it isn't a problem. It's a fact of life, Mm -hmm. like death, gravity, certain laws of nature. Rule number three, you may not care enough to solve this particular problem or reach this particular dream, and that's okay. Find something that you do care deeply about and go back to rule number one. And that handles most things. But I will also share, Emma, that when I was researching the book, um, I love finding great inspiring quotes. Mm -hmm. And I read this book by a gentleman. He's actually a British quantum theorist named David Deutsch. And he has this awesome quote, and it goes like this. Everything that is not forbidden by the laws of nature is achievable given the right knowledge. But I would say you don't have to take a quantum theorist word for it or my word for it for that matter. I would just invite people to try it before they deny it. So just experiment and test and play with this idea that perhaps could everything be figure outable and how might that give you more strength or help you find more resilience or help you find more ingenuity or creativity in whatever you're facing right now. Mm, I love that. And everything last night that you were saying, everything is about empowerment at the end of the day, isn't it? Kind of how being in control of your choices and that really resonated with me, the idea that you might not figure something out, but it's kind of because you don't really want to or you're choosing not to. Yeah, you know, we started to look into our excuses. We have a whole chapter in the book about mm, I love that chapter. eliminating our excuses. And and here's the truth. Everyone makes excuses. I make excuses. You make excuses. Everyone listening makes excuses. So it's not a terrible thing. It's not a bad thing. We don't have to beat ourselves up. It's not about feeling shameful about it. When we think about our excuses, the way to break free from that for ourselves, the best way I've found is to look at our language and to look at how often we say things like, I can't. So for example, I can't get my writing done because I can't find the time. Or I can't get stronger in terms of my health or fitness because I can't find a place to fit my workouts in. Or, you know, I really want to take that design class. It could open up a whole new portion of my career, but I can't because I can't afford it. The classes are too expensive. 99% of the time when we human beings say we can't, can't is really a euphemism for won't. And what does won't mean? Won't means that we don't want to, that we're not willing to, that we don't want to put in the sacrifice or create the time or shift around our other priorities. And here's what's interesting. 99% of the time in my own life, when I say I can't do something, I really don't want it Mm. that bad. And saying that you don't want something or that you don't want to make the sacrifice or you don't want to put in that hard work doesn't make you a bad or lazy person. It makes you honest. And I would invite anyone who's listening to this right now going like, girl, you do not know what you're talking about. I really can't do that. I would ask you to take Take a look at your past and see if there has ever been an instance where at first you said, I can't do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the resources. But an opportunity came up or some situation occurred that was so important to you and you had to make it happen that you busted through your excuses. I know I certainly have in the past. Sometimes it's related to hormones, like going to see a guy that I really wanted to see despite not having you know, the money for a plane ticket or couldn't mm. work it out. There's been times in my life when I really wanted to say yes to an educational opportunity. And at first, maybe I said I can't afford it. And then I found mm. a way to afford it because it was that important to me. Have you had an experience in your life where at first you didn't think you had the time or the money or the resources, but you rose above it? Well, it's funny because I always think of that Liz Gilbert quote, which is like, you say you can't find the time to write, but you would find the time for a like hot, steamy love affair. Yeah. So it's like, for me, when people ask me, because I do, I, you know, I, I am quite productive. Yes. But I don't 
go to the gym very often and mm-hmm. I don't cook. Like I don't spend a lot of time cooking. Like there are things I don't make time for yes. that I probably should make time for. Well, but I love what you're saying because you're very conscious about your choices. And the whole point of this part of the discussion is to help us all understand that when we use the word can't, again, 99% of the time, not 100, we are disempowering ourselves. We're putting ourselves in a position of being helpless against our circumstances as though we have no control over our time, our energy, or our choices. But when we use the word won't, or when we're just honest and say, I don't want to cook, or I don't want to get to the gym, or that's not my priority right now, all of a sudden you feel empowered around your choices and you feel at choice. And I find that when people feel like they have agency over their lives, that's where their best creative work can come Mm. from. Because anyone that's standing around going like, oh, I wish I could change my job, or I wish I could make a difference in this relationship, or I wish I could transform my health. And they're saying, but I can't. They're putting themselves in a disempowered place. And from that state, no transformation can happen. Yeah. And and what I love about everything that you write in the book is that actually you are helping someone maybe even the very first thought is I can change the way I think because I think, and we spoke about this last night, that some people talk themselves out of things before they've even started. And I think that everything is figure outable line saying out loud breaks that cycle. That's right. So you're starting to to shift. Yeah. One of the things we talk about in the book is just how to reshape our brains so they can help and work for us rather than against us. So if you don't believe that everything is figure outable, merely saying everything is figure outable out loud and doing it repeatedly in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, as trite as that sounds, as simplistic as it sounds, repetition is a key principle of neuroplasticity. And there's quite a lot of science behind behind the fact that when you verbally say something out loud, it's actually more powerful than just thinking it in your head. And so when you use more modalities, the neural pathways kind of get in in a deeper level and the repetition does physically rewire your brain. They say neurons that fire together wire together and you do that enough times and pretty soon everything is figure outable does come, it becomes your default response so that your mind starts focusing on solutions rather than problems. Mm-hmm. And that's a very magical place to live from. Yeah, because in, in your Oprah talk that I loved and also it was so fun kind of hearing that and then buying the book and kind of like get the longer version in the book and also more tips but you talk about a flight that goes wrong because yes. I always think this this saying it out loud uh, mantra I can imagine it comes into r- like real fruition when you are in those moments where your flight's been cancelled or someone's just dumped you, like these moments where we just think everything's ruined. Absolutely. And it comes really alive when you're painted into a corner and when life brings you down on your knees and when you're crying. And, you know, I have those times just like everyone else. And it is like a life preserver that I can reach for that helps me pull myself back up Mm -hmm. and then think more creatively about an issue or reach out for help. Because sometimes it's not me that can figure it out on my own, but I can say, I know this is figure outable. Will you help me? What can we brainstorm here? Or who can we call? Or what can we do that's different? And I think there's real power in that too. You know, it's just looking at the difference between kind of holding yourself back and pushing forward. We had an experience actually coming on this trip. So Haley on my team, who's with me, she was traveling to New York City from New Orleans. And Based on getting from New Orleans to New York City, we were all jumping on a 10 p.m. flight to come to the UK. Haley had booked her flight. Everything seemed fine. And then there was an hour delay. 
which put us in a little bit of a position, but we're like, oh, that's still fine. She's going to arrive in New York. We're going to be able to get her through security. It was a different airline, so she couldn't check straight through. And then it was delayed another hour and a half. And that put us in the danger zone. And so we're watching the clock tick by and we're like, we don't know if she's actually going to make it on this flight. And we're all texting back and forth. We're sending her the map of JFK so that she could spend less time trying to figure out where she could go. We were calling ahead to security. We took all of these steps and we knew we wouldn't be able to control the outcome. And there was this one moment when Haley had landed. And again, there was like 15 minutes for her to get through this maze of the airport to get on the flight. And plus, she was supposed to check luggage, which most people who travel know. Mm -hmm. If you don't check that bag an hour before your flight, they don't let you on the flight, even if you could physically make it to the plane in time. So it was about 15 minutes left. We're texting her and Greg on my team said, Haley, you got this. Go for it. It was just that little bit of encouragement. And she ran to the flight. She sweet talked the security guards. She was like, oh, they called ahead. They they said we can bring this luggage through. They did not. And she got her butt on the plane and she was sweating and we were all laughing because, again, it's like these moments where people keep saying no to you. And if you have that inner belief, it's not always going to work out, but you give yourself so much of a better chance of the possibility of it working out if you believe everything is figureoutable and act accordingly. That's so true. And also, isn't it so much nicer to be around people like you and your team who do think everything can be changed or figured out? And I don't know if you have these people in your life, and I do, dear to me, but they can't have a plan change. And if it changes, they freak out. Yes. That used to be me, by the way. I I was like, I'm so happy for age and experience because I think when I was younger, I was so rigid sometimes in my desire to control things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if something doesn't go, you're like, no, 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 wait, that's not how it's supposed according to plan. Thankfully, again, I've I've gotten a little looser as I've gotten older. But keep going. You were talking about the people who are just so rigid. No, I was just saying, though, it must be nice to surround yourself with people like that, you know. Yeah, it Plans is. Plans do change. They do. And it becomes really evident, too, in the workplace and with a team. And I think one of the things I'm so grateful for is everyone that works in our company, the everything is figureoutable philosophy is kind of inherent to who mm-hmm. we are because in business, things go wrong all the time. Even when everyone has the work of uh, the best intentions, when people are doing their best work, they're working so hard, like technology breaks, innocent communication mistakes absolutely happen. Things happen with the weather, things, you know, there are so many things that impact us beyond our control that you have to work with people who believe everything is figureoutable because otherwise it's miserable. Yeah. It's like the whole thing where, um, you know, early on in my career I had a boss who quite rightly was like please don't come with problems like come with solutions which yes. is like the classic the classic thing I was like oh my god I'm that person that just moans without without actually offering anything at the end so I'm really cautious of that now and anyone who like comes to me with a problem I'm like what are we going to do about this then yeah we've had so many instances and I'm I'm so unbelievably proud of the folks that I work with because, you know, they have to float stuff up the chain. Not often at this point because they're so utterly responsible, but in the earlier days, you know, things go wrong and you got to let the boss know about it. And they always come with like multiple options. Mm. Like here's option one of what we can do. Here's option two of what we can do. Here's option three. So it's like I get to go solution shopping. (laughs) You're like, which one would I like? And I love that spirit because then it allows us all to dive in and you can sidestep the blame. You can sidestep the resentment. You can sidestep the finger pointing. And honestly, in a process where there's a crisis, there is going to be a time where we need to look back and see what went wrong. But in the moments that matter, immediately when something goes down the toilet, you have got to focus on solutions mm-hmm. rather than problems. There's more than enough time to uh, kind of do your postmortem and fix systems yes. later.
you're such a good communicator and even when you speak I'm like entranced with what you're saying because you're just like who taught you that or is that just very innate like is that just you well I love communicating and connecting with people and I've been doing this for 20 years now so hopefully I've been able to get better over time I think the benefit of creating curriculum through coaching programs and through something like b-school or the copy cure is I get to put my ideas on paper put them on video and then have people work with me through them and they help teach me where perhaps I haven't communicated an idea clearly enough or maybe I haven't pointed out what are some of the potential pitfalls falls along the way. So I think through the process of working with others and doing my very best to support them, they actually help me become better at what I do. Even when writing the book, one of the most fun aspects of it was writing down an idea I know to be true in my bones and then taking the devil's advocate position, looking through the lens of someone who may not believe that that concept is workable or may have certain challenges around implementing an idea. So concrete example, when we're working on the excuses chapter, I had floated the initial draft by a woman who's very talented and she was also is uh, the mom of two young kids. And she's like, okay, Marie, this is great if you don't have kids, but what about X, Y, and Z? You know, and I was like, awesome. And so it allowed me to go back in and address some of those things. And so hopefully what's been able to happen for me through the course of my career is I get to state my ideas, but also bat them down and come up with other solutions Mm -hmm. that can help make them more full and robust and complete. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I had a similar thing when I was writing my last book, but it was a bit more narcissistic than that because I I would basically imagine like getting trolled. Mm. I say it's narcissistic because no one like cares enough to like... (laughs) all stop what they're doing and troll me like it's a kind of like a ridiculous thing to imagine I had like that kind of yeah like devil on the shoulder just going well what if someone took that the wrong way and it really made my made me check myself but then it also meant that if I did get criticism I probably would have been like oh I I took that on board before it's less likely that I would get a big bit of criticism that knocks me out because I would have already kind of thought of it absolutely well I think it makes us more complete thinkers and communicators and develops more empathy and compassion, right? Because if you are taking that devil's advocate position and you think through that point of view and you're able to address it in a Mm. thoughtful way, even if the person still winds up disagreeing, I think on some level they feel heard and seen. And at the end of the day, what I've found is what most of us want Mm -hmm. is to feel seen and heard and acknowledged. And that in and of itself can be extremely transformative, especially when two people don't agree on a certain principle. Yes. How do you navigate? Because I know that one of my favorite, I've told you, one of my favorite bits is the criticism section, just because I Mm. think it's just so relatable and everyone deals with it in life. Everyone wants to be seen, but then I also feel like there's so much advice around like don't feed the actual like negative trolls. trolls. You know, I know there's a difference between someone like giving harsh feedback versus a troll. Do you believe in like even making those comments feel seen or do you kind of ignore them? I think it's like a case by case basis thing. So, for example, if someone is commenting on my looks, you know, how much of your hair is fake? Oh, gosh, she's got so many extensions. Or, you know, actually, one of the first comments that I saw after appearing on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday show. So that was the television show that aired on OWN, different from the the talk. But one of the first comments was that I look like a prostitute and that my skirt was way too short. And it was just like this whole thing. And that was like one of the first. And I was just like. And so I think those types of comments kind of sit in their own little bucket. Mm-hmm through which I do not respond. 
right? That is not a use of my time or energy. Whereas let's say another comment could be from someone, and I've done this on Instagram, (laughs) where someone takes issue with the thing I've posted or said, but they do so from a place of respect and wanting to connect and like they're passionate about their disagreement, but I can feel that they're also open to a discussion. And in those instances, and you know, it's not always a blanket yes or no, but if I have the time or space and I can intuitively sense that someone actually really wants to connect and understand perhaps better my position, I'm happy to dive in and you know, say, hey, look, it's okay that you disagree with me and you may not use the same language choices as I do. I'm not trying to get you to think the way I do or speak the way I do, but I just want you to know where I'm coming from. And I've seen turnarounds there and that's been incredible where, again, not that they've necessarily changed their mind, but like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Amazing. So in those instances where I feel like there's an opportunity for human connection, I'm happy to engage. And then to be quite honest, other times it's a bandwidth issue for me to continue to create content and stay connected with my team and with my audience and to make a difference where I feel like I can. There's so many channels right now, you know, between Instagram, the blog, email, Mm -hmm. Facebook, you know, there's so many places where people can perhaps ask a question or leave a comment. And I simply, you know, wouldn't get anything else done if I... like a full-time job. That's right. That's totally right. For me, it's like we really try and separate between people that we feel have something to share that we would like to address and dive deeper into versus people who are just being hateful and, and vitriolic and and there's no substance behind what they're saying. That is so useful because I think in the moment, in the heat of the moment, I don't know if we take that time to really think about it like that. And I know in the book you talk about not responding when you're emotionally emotion. charged yeah and yes. I and I had that recently I was away and I had a horrible Twitter comment and I replied instantly which I shouldn't have done and I was with a friend who's very spiritual very zen she was like I can feel their energy on you now like yes you've literally sucked it in like a sponge and you were having a really nice day a minute ago I love that you brought this up because I have a rule for myself now even you know the rule came from way way back in the day when Twitter was still quite new I think it was back in perhaps 2009 or so and I was doing like an entrepreneurial Twitter chat. And the schedule was such that it was like 9 p.m. at night. And I had done a networking event earlier. And I don't drink a lot, but I had had a glass of red wine at this particular networking event. So I returned back to my house and I was drinking water, but I definitely felt the impact of that Mm -hmm. glass of wine. And the Twitter chat was going great. And I usually love to have a lot of fun with people and we're like making jokes and it was just awesome. And then a troll came in Mm -hmm. and they said something that I, you know, took offense with. And then I just unleashed. (laughs) And I remember, oh my God, Emma, looking at my responses in the morning and just feeling like, that's not the real me. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't represent me. That's right. Like that was me being defensive. That was me like, again, just like getting into a fight with someone over nothing, like over just their shitty comment, to be quite honest. And, but then me getting shittier. And it really gave me a great lesson, which was A, I will never touch a keyboard if I've had like a sip of wine or any type of alcohol at all. But number two, this even happened the other day. It was actually in response to a video that uh, we put up while I was here. So I love dance. I love movement. I am me everywhere I go. And I just sometimes dance around. And so we had a video. We had wandered into a candy shop here in London and they happened to be playing amazing music. It was Drake. It was Mia. It was Bad Bunny. (laughs) And so we cut up this little video and there was actually an American woman who was so angry. She said, you should not act that way in public. Like I'm an American living here and you're giving us a bad name. I work so hard to be taken seriously. And like, it was like just literally, I was like, 
really? And I could feel my fingers going towards a response. And I literally physically pulled my hand back. And I'm like, nope, not mm-hmm. going to do it mm-hmm. because of that rule of not responding when you're emotionally charged. I think this is actually useful even beyond comments mm-hmm. in public. Like an email from like a boss. Like an email from a boss or from a colleague or a coworker or a client that if something comes through and you find yourself fired up, you've got to step away. I would recommend, this is what's worked for me at least, I would invite people to experiment, sleeping on it. Like a full night's sleep, coming back then to an email, you have so much more perspective and can be grounded in your sense of reason and also your highest and best expression of how you want to respond. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that just takes a minute. Oh, that's such good advice and something that I do not stick to still. So you, I'm going to uh, practice. Good reminder. Again, and we do that for ourselves on our team too. Like, again, if something is incoming, you're like, whoa, I did not expect that in that email. I'll often share it with someone else on my team and we'll say, you know what? Let us look back at this in the morning. Yeah, and we do. And, and then we also check each other's emails. Like sometimes unawaredly, you can kind of put some hooks and punches in there that are a little passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that's not who I want to be. And I know I have a very easy ability to go there. Yes. So having someone else kind of read your emails to remove some of those hooks, I just think is a is a smart practice. Yeah. It's interesting that because sometimes I feel like there's still this thing that lingers and it's like internalized that yes. women at work should should be a bit more, not masculine, but like a little bit mean sometimes. Mm. And I'm like, I don't prescribe to that at all. But sometimes I'm thinking, right, to get my point across, actually, I can't do a smiley face. Oh, I will (laughs) tell you, listen, I am the worst. So when I first wrote an ebook way back in the early part of my career. It was filled, Emma, with so many exclamation points, like hot pink, like do you, like all the wrong things to make yourself look like a seven-year-old, okay? That was me because I'm a naturally enthusiastic person. And now, especially with this book, I've interacted with so many people and different folks from the press and folks that perhaps, you know, you should hold in a certain regard and show up particularly professionally. And I'm like, I can't. Mm-hmm. It's just not me. So there will be like three smiling faces. There's a GIF. It's all the things, emojis, because it's just... I feel like energy is communicated through emails. And, you know, if someone doesn't like that from me, they shouldn't have me on their show. Mm. It's not going to be a good match. If I'm like too extra or too much, that's totally okay. But you should know what you're getting from the onset. So if I dial down Marie and then all of a sudden you book me and I show up in person, I'm like, ah! like it's just <laughs> so unauthentic. Yes. Oh my God. That's so, so true. I really, really love that because I think some people do feel like they have to tone down their personality and actually we, none of us do. No. You mentioned dancing, which we all love, and music is such a good energy boost in general. But could you talk a little bit about the difference between leading with your body and your mind? Yes. Because we were talking a lot about like gut feeling and intuition, and I know that as a writer who sits at my desk sometimes for like 12 hours, I kind of forget my body a bit. Yes. How do we like reconnect, do you think? Well, I think from a cultural standpoint and where we are in society right now, so many of us spend so much time behind a desk every day, right? Mm. And more and more jobs are kind of information or knowledge-based. So even if we're not sitting behind a desk, we're staring at a screen (laughs) and most of our energy or attention is kind of from the neck up. What I've seen in my life, and I can really see some contrast because the early part of my career, I kind of had a few things going at once. I was building my coaching practice and my one-on-one coaching practice and really understanding how to do that. But I was also bartending and waiting tables. And at a certain point for about five or six years, I was also building a career in the dance and fitness industries where I was teaching weekly dance and fitness classes, also choreographing fitness videos and going around and instructing on stages. So 
I could see the synergy between how my ideas were coming out and I was also very physical for much of my day. Mm -hmm. Then when I left the world of bartending and waiting tables, which again is very physical, you're on your feet, and dialed down, really left earning money from dance and fitness, and I put all of my attention and energy into my online business, I actually saw a negative impact in my ability to produce as quickly as I was used to, and also just my happiness and my well-being. And when I started to kind of get that understanding back and built in more movement, and even for this book launch, you know, we were talking about this a little bit, but I had this wild idea to launch the book in New York City in this way. I said to myself, imagine if a Beyonce concert and a TED Talk had a baby and then threw a block party. This is how I want to launch the book in <laughs> I New wish York I City. Was there. Oh, I wish you were there too, but we're going to do another one. So I had never performed in a concert before. Before, but the whole reason I'm telling you this is because I've been able to see very, very clearly the contrast between being at my desk, writing the book, and then the buildup towards that concert where so many more things were flowing because I was in rehearsals. I was dancing. I was cutting music. I was producing the show. And while, Emma, it was so incredibly challenging, there was so much fear, there was so much self-doubt, the increase in energy that I've seen is phenomenal, which wow. honestly is why I want to do more of it professionally, because if it's rooted in the work itself, I'm going to have that physical movement based in. Because honestly, there, there were so many times when writing the book that my butt did not get to the gym. Mm. You know, I tried and I did like little seven minute workouts, but that's very different than being in rehearsals for like two hours, yeah. right? So all of this to say that my experience has shown me that we have so much intelligence and inner knowing that lives in our bodies that we don't access regularly. But when you get into a spin class, you take a walk around the block, maybe you take a jog, you go for a swim, whatever type of movement feels good to your body, and that can be as most fun as possible. And I think adding music in really does take it up yeah, to another yeah. level. I think that it opens creative channels and it opens an opportunity for your own wisdom to come through in a way that just sitting at your desk never will. It's so true. It's nice for you to break it down like that as well, because I think at the end of the day, it's just moving, isn't it? And it's it not is. making yourself feel like you have to go and get the expensive outfit and go to the spin class. It's like, just get out there and, and move around. You can do it in your house. I mean, I have dance parties in my house. We have playlists. We actually have an Everything is Figure Outable playlist um, that's on Spotify. It's, it's for on free. It is. Oh, cool. oh, 100%. Like if you oh, great. go to everythingisfigureoutable.com, I believe, or actually, let me dial that back. It's marieforleo.com slash EIF. We have like a couple of goodies, which includes mm. the playlist. List. And it's just fun songs that actually make you feel pretty awesome. And yeah. granted, it's my taste, but you can build off of it. And you, you're right. You don't need to take the expensive classes. Like there's so much movement. I use apps also a lot. There's some free apps out there that have these seven-minute workouts that in seven minutes, and you don't need any equipment. Like it's just your body weight. So yeah. you can blast some music and just get it moving. And I, every single time it works for me. That's so, so great. It's funny because I personally am going through this transition of when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I was really into fitness, but because of like must lose weight, must look good. And it's unpicking that uh, relationship and going, actually, I just I just want my mind to feel good. Yes. I actually don't care necessarily about that stuff anymore, but like changing that kind of how I see fitness. Well, I'll tell you, it's probably, I think when we talk about fitness and we talk about the impact on the brain, there's a lot of science to back that up. And I think fitness is largely underrated for what it can do for your mentality, your emotional health and your creativity, and largely overestimated mm -hmm. in terms of what it actually does to reshape your physical body. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want people to feel comfortable and feel good. I like feeling strong in my body. That's for me 
me the thing that I strive for. So it gets fun for me to hit the gym in that way. I'm like, oh, can I get Mm. in those 15 really strong push-ups? It becomes this challenge, which then also becomes a mental gain. And it feeds back into my ability to sit at my desk when I'm uncomfortable because an idea won't come. Mm. So I think there is quite this gorgeous positive feedback loop that happens. And a lot of it has to do with our bodies. But, you know, in the science, we we look at the dopamine, we look at all of the beautiful chemicals that will be produced in your brain, the melatonin, when you move your body. And it is proven that that helps you focus and be more creative and Mm. feel better while you're doing it. Mm. I'm inspired. I'm going to do more of that. But before I ask you my final question, I just wanted to touch on a little bit the business model you've got going. It's like so many people now, they do online courses or there's things like Skillshare that have like popped up and there's, you were like the queen, original queen bee of building an online business. Like you just said, you were on Twitter in 2008, 2009, even before then maybe. But what do you say to those people that say, oh, if I didn't start my business back then, there's no point? I would probably put that in the bucket of excuses that you use to hold yourself back because I've seen people that didn't start when I start who are finding tremendous success right now. So Mm -hmm. there's proof otherwise. I think that, you know, when it comes to the landscape that we're in right now, for every business owner, no matter what you want to do, you really need to master the art of sales and marketing. You could be a masseuse. You could be a knitter. You could be an architect. You can be a graphic designer. No matter what your craft is, and for me, I really consider myself, I'm both a lifelong student and a lifelong teacher. It's just this cycle. I love learning and I love sharing. When you look at the landscape out there, you have to master your ability to communicate with others and inspire them to say yes if your offer, whatever your offer is, is right to them. In B-School, I teach timeless principles because the platforms are all going to change, right? The tools have changed. I mean, way back in the day, Facebook was a thing and and Facebook still is a thing. It's a big thing, but there's other, you know, a lot of people spend a lot more time on Instagram now. TikTok is a thing, you know, Mm. there's all these things. And you have to understand the timeless principles of what does someone actually want in their heart and soul? How can you connect with what not only they want and need, but like the deeper emotional needs underneath it? How can you communicate trust effectively? How can you use modern marketing, your generosity, your creativity, your empathy, your compassion to inspire your ideal customers to say yes and to keep them coming back for more? These are things that haven't changed about humanity in millennia, but people don't focus on that. They focus on algorithms and things that are completely outside their control. So back to your question, I would say that for anyone who feels like it's not the right time, I would say to step back and ask yourself the hard question, are you willing to put in the work that is necessary to master sales and marketing along with your craft and then be in it for the long term? I think that patience is so underrated. I've been doing this for 20 years and I feel like I'm just getting started. And sometimes I'll talk with B-schoolers and be like, I'll be like, you know, they're so frustrated. And I'll say, okay, tell me how long you've been going at this. And they're like, oh, forever, (laughs) three months. And I literally fall over laughing. I'm like, okay, come back to me in three years after you've been utterly consistent and challenging yourself and putting it out there. And if someone's like, well, I'm not willing to do that, I would push back and say, well, I would challenge you to say, do you really want the thing that you're working towards? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the thing that you're willing to work towards no matter how long it takes? And it doesn't have to be your full-time gig. It may be some creative expression that you just want to get great at and you stay in your day job and find a way to bring joy to that so it can fund 
end your long-term dream. I mean, you know this. I bartended and waited tables for seven years before I felt confident enough emotionally or financially to go all in in my online business. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't trade a day of that. Yes. Well, I always say that a side hustle is you you get to dip your toe in and you get to see if you want it. Mm -hmm. And, And also see if it works and test it. But I love that answer so, so much because you must get asked this so much from people just going, how do I build a platform then? And actually, it's not about the numbers and it's not about, you know, the metrics on the outside, like the subscribers. It's like it's actually like a lot of the universal thinking behind it. That's right. And I think you have to also decide for yourself, what are the metrics that matter? You know, you were saying, oh, gosh, there's some folks who have started after me and they're like blowing me out of water in terms of like Instagram likes or followers. Same thing here. But I'm not tracking my success using those metrics. Mm -hmm. So the metrics that matter to me are, first of all, revenue and profit. And by those measures for me, we're crushing it and we keep growing. So I'm like, I'm a happy camper. Is my team happy? Meaning, are they satisfied? Are we growing? Do we have the right people on the bus? I can check off yes. It's not always perfect. Nothing is perfect, but we're consistently moving in the right direction. That's a metric that matters to me. Another metric that matters to me. Are my customers happy? When I am taking people through a paid experience, when we look at the metrics in terms of refund rates or satisfaction or the stories that they tell and how their lives are transforming, are we winning in those metrics? Mm -hmm. And my answer is yes. So those are the things that deeply matter to me. Our email list, is that growing? Yes. So it's not always the things that are apparent from the outside. It's not always the things from a positioning standpoint that people can point to. So for me, it's important. And I think for everyone listening, you have to decide the metrics that matter for yourself. And you need to make sure that you're clear on why those really matter for the long term. Because some of the vanity stuff, you're just going to be chasing your tail. Nine times out of 10, you're comparing yourself to anyone else. And comparison is creative kryptonite. Mm -hmm. That'll put you down instantly. Oh, wow. I love that. I love that. It's such a good reminder because I think we're all human. We can all get carried away with like, oh, I could be growing in this area. But actually, if it's not a focus and everything else is going well, it's all good. I was going to ask you so much more, but I feel smug that I got to ask you more last night. Your YouTube channel is the place to go for people that want to hear more from you. So my last question being, what are you excited about in the next few months that's coming up? And it can be personal or professional. Two things, really. I am excited to continue the book tour after this. We actually go home and we're doing this online course, which is amazing. Everything is figureoutable. It's a figureoutable formula. And then going to Australia and then actually to B-School will be coming up next. But I think one of the things creative I'm excited to to dig into is that New York City experience. We have all of this footage that we have to find the right editing team for because it was the first time we've ever done like a 10 camera multi-camera shoot. Wow. So there's like all of these different angles that we have to figure out how to put together and wow. what is that end product going to look like? And it feels like a puzzle, like we've never done this. So again, everything is figured out. We're like, okay, we're going to figure it out. So to see that experience come to life in digital form is something I'm, I'm excited to dig into. That's so exciting. And I know you said you were taking a break. Oh, December. Yes. So, I'm excited for you. you yes. Because like you were saying, the switch off time is good too. Oh, we have. So in our company, we have built in in August as a company, we take two weeks off collectively and everybody's offline. And we do the same thing in December. And and the little adjustment to that is our customer happiness team staggers so that we stay responding to our customers and no one cannot download something and, and all that. But this year, I'm taking most of December off because basically since like May even before that, to be honest with you. But May, the heat really got turned up in terms of the book. And and Mm -hmm. we're here talking in October. And that kind of high pace, high activity is going to continue all the way through the end of December. And so I told Josh, I was like, basically, I'm going to get through my birthday, which is December.
December 7th. And then three weeks, you and I, he's like, I'm in. So we're deciding like whether we want to take a trip to Hawaii or just kind of hang out. We spend some time in Los Angeles and just like be there and be chill. Mm -hmm. But most of December, I am taken off and I'm super pumped for that. Amazing. It is nice hearing that even the most kind of round the clock successful people need need that time too. Oh, I definitely do. I think that it's essential because you can't, at least I can, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I just don't think from a creative standpoint, it's healthy to output, 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 output endlessly without taking time, just like the seasons, right? To actually chill out and reflect and just take a moment and then see what's next. Yeah. And get a light bulb moment probably when you're not, when you're in the shower, not even thinking of anything. That's right. Oh, well, thank you so, so much for the event last night, but also for coming on. I love Marie TV. I watch it a lot, but I also watch it when I'm in a need of a little boost. And I've replayed some of the episodes so many times. Yay! Thank um, you for that. My favourite being with good old Seth, Seth Godin. Um, He's a magical but, human. But you are um, putting so much amazing stuff out into the world, and so many people love you. So thank you so much for, oh, for what you do. Emma, thank you for what you do. I was so honoured to be with you last night, and of course to be on your podcast. So thank you. Thank you. 